Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Kids these days should be learning about financial literacy, are they? Coming up, David Hinchy, Director of Community Impact at the Credit Union League of Connecticut, will join us to talk about ways young people can learn to control their financial future. Which brings us to one of the questions behind our show today. When is a good time to think about retirement? Not everyone can afford a financial planner. Is it something you believed you only have the luxury to do when you make a certain income? Or you think about it at only a certain time or age in your life? Today, where we live, we want to hear from you. What questions do you have about saving for your future? Here's the number, 860-275-7266. You can email us, where we live, at wmpr.org. And find us on Facebook and Twitter, at where we live. I want to welcome our guest today to our show, Tim Mowers, Director of Advisor Development for Buckingham Strategic Wealth and author of Simple Money. He joins us today from the ARP studio in Charleston, South Carolina. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lucy. Good morning. Uh, so we hear often about planning for retirement, and uh, there's uh, lots of advice out there about some of the best ways to do it and when to think about it. Um, when we think about retirement, Tim, what's the traditional age that Americans are retiring these days? Well, the traditional age of retirement was set back in the 1930s, really, with the institution of Social Security following the Great Depression, and that was age 65. The average age that people retire in the United States depends on where you live state by state, but right now it's hovering somewhere right around there, around 63, actually. So people are retiring a little bit earlier than even that traditional retirement age of 65. And when we think about Social Security, so if uh, someone has a job for most of their life, they get a percentage of that back at, at when they retire through Social Security. How does it work exactly? Well, yeah, you pay in throughout the course of your lifetime, but it's not as though there's some account that's just sitting out there with your name on it. It's really a pay-through system. So today, I and you and I are paying into Social Security in our paychecks, and it's going to the people who are currently receiving Social Security. But over time, the more that you pay in should result in a higher payment when you actually do begin receiving Social Security, depending on what those laws look like at that time. Um, I'm, I'm curious, uh, when it comes time for you and I to retire, should we bet that Social Security will be there? Will we get that monthly check? This is a big question that a lot of people are asking, Lucy. And I say this. Anybody who suggests that the U.S. government is just going to default on its biggest loan to its own people, I think is crazy. All right. I think that, that those are scare tactics. Now, I will say this. We are likely to see the value of our Social Security payment lessen over time. We're likely to see that age at which we can take it continue to go higher, which makes sense if you think about it, because life expectancy keeps going up. We're likely to see means testing, where if you have more money saved in retirement, if you have other income streams in retirement, you may see your Social Security income reduced. And as a result of all that uh, money printing that the government 
may do in order to make that those Social Security payments. It's also possible that we'll, we'll see a further devaluation of the dollar. But there are so many other macroeconomic factors that go on uh, when it comes to dollar devaluation. We really can't make a bet on exactly what that will mean to us when we start taking Social Security just yet. So when we look at the uh, um, the percentage of Americans that are retiring at, say, 63, how how well of a job are they doing in terms of socking away money so that they feel comfortable in their daily living? Not so well, Lucy. You don't have to do too much Googling about retirement preparedness for Americans to see study after study after study that suggests Americans have not saved nearly enough. And this may indeed be a serious situation. It suggests to me that 63 for the vast majority of people out there is probably too early. As life expectancy has continued to go up drastically beyond where this original quote-unquote traditional age of 65 for retirement began back in the 1930s, now our life expectancy is decades longer than it was then. And so we are underfunded for the most part and expecting to squeeze more out of a lesser retirement savings. The math probably isn't going to work out for an awful lot of people. So let's get into how much we should be saving uh, for retirement. What is the traditional advice when you're looking at your paycheck? Uh, how much per year should you be, a- be able to put away for that, that, golden, that golden era of retirement? Sure. Well, Lucy, the traditional answer to that is that grandfatherly wisdom of saving 10%. And and I've done the numbers as a financial planner. If you saved 10% from the time that you started working, the vast majority of people over time, if they did a reasonable job saving and earning, say, 7 to 8% per year on that savings, if they retired at age 65, the chances are decent that that savings of 10% along the course of their working lifetime would result in enough retirement income when combined with Social Security to uh, to pay the bills in retirement. The problem is that that's a linear calculation, say, saving 10% your whole life. And life, as we know it, is not linear. We actually, many of us, have an opportunity to save more at the front end of our careers, especially after you uh, couple up, as they say, and now you're one of those dink households, double income, no kids, right? Dink. The dink household. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's it's an official term, Lucy, official retirement term. Uh, <laughs> dink households should be able to save more at the front end of their career as opposed to spending so much on Apple products and fine coffee and craft beer, although I don't have anything against those things, of course. But if you could save more in those years, recognizing that once you do have kids, you're almost necessarily going to see a reduction in your income and an increase, a massive increase as a parent of two, I will say, in your expenses. And then once the kids are out of the house, you probably are going to want to start socking away significantly more savings again. So we almost see this barbell effect. It's really important to get off to a good early start because then that compounding can help you a great deal in those years where you might not be able to save as much. I'm glad you bring that up, uh, Tim, because so often uh, we hear from young people. We know we have lots of listeners in their 20s and 30s, and the idea of saving for retirement, uh, it seems, you know, years away. Uh, but you're saying that the smart thing to do is when you don't have as many responsibilities, you don't, you're not paying that daycare bill once you decide to, if you decide to have a family, you should be trying to put away more of that money before uh, things start to to add up as the, as the children come. Yeah, that's the ideal. And I want to say to those listeners who are in their 20s and 30s, I get it, right? I'm 42 now, but not 
horribly distanced from the 20s and 30s. And I remember being there thinking, retirement, cash, that seems so far away, even though I was a finance major. I mean, I knew theoretically what it was going to take in order to successfully save for retirement. But from an emotional perspective, in the present, I really do understand and empathize with younger savers. It just seems so far away. We've actually learned from the field of behavioral economics that this is an element of biology. When we think about having the opportunity to spend money today on whatever that might be, versus setting money aside and spending it decades and decades into the future, we devalue that money that we may have an opportunity to spend in the future relative to the money that we can spend today. So we're getting great answers on why it is that it's hard to save for retirement. The fact that it is so far out makes it harder to save. Unfortunately, it's that much more important because, again, retirement is a long-term objective, and you need to start early enough that you get the benefits of that compound interest that we all hear so much about over time. On the phone with me, or actually from the studios of ARP in Charleston, South Carolina, Tim Maurer, Director of Advisor Development for Buckingham Strategic Wealth, author of Simple Money. Uh, today we're talking about uh, when when's a good time to start thinking about saving for retirement um, before it's here, before you know it, and you don't want to feel uh, where money is tight uh, when you're supposed to be enjoying the, the golden years, so to speak. If you want to join in on our conversation on where we live, 860-275-7266. Uh, so, Tim, you talked about uh, compounding. Let's let's talk about that. It's basic uh, basic idea of of when you're thinking about saving money, how that works. Yeah. So what happens is when you set money aside and it earns, let's say it earns seven percent this year, right? That's great. That's a decent rate of return from a historical perspective for a balanced investment account. Well, what happens is now your your balance is higher. And then if you're able to earn 7% in the next year, you're going to be earning that 7% on an already increased bucket of money. So this seems like a simple thing. And when you look at it just one or two or three years, it doesn't appear to have that much of an effect. But over decades, this compounding has a really significant effect. And because the task of saving for retirement is such a monumental one because we have to set so much aside in order to recreate our income in the future, especially with increased life expectancy. We almost need this compounding benefit of the market in order to have a good chance of successfully saving for retirement. When we think about saving, uh, when I was a kid, I remember going to the bank uh, with my mom, and, and a lot of banks have uh, those accounts uh, where you can start as a kid thinking about um, putting aside your allowance. But these days, savings accounts, you're not getting much interest. So where do you put your money, Tim? Well, if you're my kids, you put it in your little allowance app that we create because mom nice. and dad are the ones paying the interest. <laughs> and, and you're right. But that's kind of the point, Lucy, is that today I can't really successfully motivate my 12 and 14-year-old boys uh, to save for the future and to see the benefits of compounding interest in their savings accounts. You're earning so little they wouldn't even notice it. That's why I have to almost uh, <laughs> hack the system and increase their their apparent compounding. And I'm just trying to teach them that lesson. I'm not going to be able to afford to do it much longer because they, they have a lot in their savings accounts now for mom and dad paying this high degree of interest. But that's one of the things you cannot necessarily expect at any time in the future that just putting money into a savings account is going to result in enough compounding over time. But especially right now, Lucy, we've just seen interest rates suppressed for so long. It's almost as though savers have been penalized while borrowers have been advantaged by, by many different things, including Fed policy 
policy and so forth. But uh, even if we see interest rates as we see interest rates beginning to rise a little bit, I still don't think that people can count on saving for the long-term goal of retirement inside their savings accounts. That's a very effective place to put your emergency reserves, the money that you might need to access just in case one of the tires goes up on the car or you need to replace the roof. But it will not get the job done in most cases for retirement savings. You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. We're going to ask Tim a little bit later about some other ways uh, where to put your money if you want to save for retirement. We're just talking about uh, the traditional savings account. But I want to take a call now from a listener, Nicholas, from West Hartford. What's your question, Nicholas? Hi. Um, so I fall into that category of people who should be saving now. I'm you know, in my 20s. I'm still getting off the ground with my career, and I find most of my money that would otherwise be going to savings is going to paying off student loans. So my question is, in this era of rising student loans, uh, how does someone who's just getting off the ground in their career even make those saving deposits? Good question, Nicholas. Again, uh, when you think about all the debt that uh, students are accruing to pay for school, Tim, what's, what's your advice? Oh, such a good question, Lucy. And I'm so glad, Nicholas, that you were willing to speak up. The truth is we should be having a whole nother show on this whole education issue and, and student loan debt. But it is indeed true that we're seeing a whole generation of future savers hampered in their ability to save because of significant education debt. But what I would tell you is, Nicholas, uh, if you currently work for a company that offers a 401k and that 401k comes with a company match of any sort, for example, many companies will say, we will match dollar for dollar up to the first 3% of your salary that you put away. So if you put away 3% of your salary, we're going to match it and put away 3% of your salary. This is one of the only opportunities for free money that we can find as Americans. And even though you may be paying a decent interest rate on your uh, your college debt, if you're able to get a guaranteed 100% rate of return on every dollar you put into your 401k, I would compromise between between the money you're setting aside to reduce your college debt and the money you're setting aside for retirement and make sure you max out that match. Get the very most of that free money and then dedicate yourself further to that worthy goal of paying down your student debt. We just got a tweet from a listener, Tim. Scott writes, if your employer matches a certain percentage, you must take advantage. You're leaving free money on the table, if not. So, uh, again, uh, that's good advice. And we'll be talking a little bit more about 401ks, 403bs, Roth IRAs, and taking your calls here on Where We Live. Uh, the phone number, 860-275-7266. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Our guest today from the studio of ARP in Charleston, South Carolina, Tim Maurer, Director of Advisor Development for Buckingham Strategic Wealth and author of Simple Money. More questions after the break. This is where we live. Boys, I'm retiring. (laughs) From what? (laughs) From the grind. I mean, who needs it? You know, I've accomplished everything I've set out to do. (laughs) What's that? Oh, bought myself a little retirement gift. Gold watch. Ooh. It's not really gold. Oh. 
This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. You probably know those voices from the hit TV sitcom Seinfeld. What are your retirement goals so you don't have to sell your fancy-looking watch? Today we're talking about how we should be planning for retirement. What questions do you have? Here's the number, 860-275-7266. Email where we live at WMPR.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. My guest today is Tim Maurer, Director of Advisor Development for Buckingham Strategic Wealth, author of the book Simple Money. Joining us today from ARP Studio in Charleston, South Carolina. Again, if you want to join in on this conversation, the show's for you, 860-275-7266. Tim, before the break, we were talking about the importance of uh, the 401k, um, and you were mentioning that with young people who are just out of college, who may be starting their first career, now's the time to be putting away the money before other uh, responsibilities pile on. But what if, if you're in your... 40s and 50s, and maybe you didn't have the ability to put away money um, at the start of your career, what should they be doing? Well, first off, if you're in your 40s or 50s and you didn't have an opportunity to do more savings as a young person, you're in good company, or at least you're in a lot of company. There are a lot of folks out there in that situation. But I will also say this. When you're in your 40s and 50s, one of the biggest challenges is to not subject yourself to the fear of, oh my gosh, I'm just not going to be able to do anything. Because when you start looking at retirement calculators in your 40s and 50s and you haven't socked away a dime just yet, it's going to look like a truly monumental task at that stage of the game. And you might just back away and say, I can't afford to put 16% of my salary. The most important thing is to get that process started. And the best way to do that, it is always going to be taking advantage of that free money with the match from your employer in a 401k. And I know we're going to get into 401ks more in a moment. Uh, One of the next best places is a Roth IRA, and we'll probably also have an opportunity to touch on that. Oh, why don't you just give us the basics on that now before we take a call, Tim? 401k versus the Roth IRA. Sure. So 401k versus the Roth IRA, one of the great challenges we all have in retirement savings is that it appears to all be in code, right? Like what the heck is 401k or 403b? These are both defined contribution plans. The 401k is for for-profit companies. A 403b is for non-profit companies, but they function almost identically. And in either of these cases, you get an opportunity to set money aside. Your company may also match you or make a contribution of their own. And in a traditional 401k situation, as in a traditional IRA situation, you're going to be putting money away either pre-tax or getting a tax deduction on the front end. Then that money is going to grow tax deferred. But when you take the money out and the government will force you to take that money out at a point in the future, then you're going to have to pay tax on every dollar. That sounds like not such a great deal, but believe me, the numbers still work out. Getting the tax break and getting the tax deferral is worth it. A Roth IRA is almost the inverse of that from a tax perspective. You put money into a Roth IRA that is already in your paycheck or in your pocket or in your checking account. You put that money in after tax, and then it grows and is taken out tax-free as long as you meet the qualifications. And so this is a meaningful difference. What I I find, and I think Scott even mentioned this in his tweet to WNPR, was it often makes sense to diversify what you're contributing to, having some that is pre-tax, like with a traditional IRA or 401k, and some that is post-tax, like with a Roth IRA. Now, when life uh, comes along, we can't always plan what happens, and then you have these little pools of money set aside. How bad of an idea is it to be borrowing from a 401k? 
Yeah, it's it is a a resource of last resort is what I would say. There are instances in which borrowing from a 401k may be something that I recommend, but in 20 years in this industry, it has only happened a couple of times. It has only happened in a serious situation of emergency. And there are a couple reasons that you don't want to borrow from your 401k. But the best reason these days is this. Most of us are changing jobs and changing companies all too often. And so if you take Take a loan from your 401k, they're automatically going to set up a five-year payback period. Okay, so at this stage of the game, you haven't had to necessarily pay any taxes or penalties. You're going to have to pay an interest rate, but you feel like you're paying it to yourself. So you've taken this loan, but now we've set up a five-year payback period. Well, what happens if two years from now, you think the most important thing for your career is that you need to move on and go to another company? At that stage of the game, you're either going to have to pay back the rest of the three year payment period, or you're going to be subject to tax and penalties on every dollar that you were not able to pay back in that form. So I, I want people to have the freedom to make a career move if they think that's the very best thing for them. I don't want them to be encumbered by a sense of, oh, no, maybe I shouldn't do it because I've got to pay that 401k loan back or take a major hit, which it will be anytime you have to pay taxes and a penalty. This is where we live. Join our conversation, 860-275-7266. Sean's calling from Southbury. Sean, go ahead with your question. Uh, yeah, my question is, uh, I have been taking advantage of the 401ks for the companies that I've worked for uh, for the past 20 years. I'm 44 now. Uh, the current company that I work for does not match um, dollar for, at, at all, dollar for dollar, or, or any percentage of the money that's taken out. Is it still beneficial for me? to uh, take advantage of that 401k if they're not matching. Sean, that's a great question. It's going to depend somewhat on how much income you make and what your tax rate is, because it may still be beneficial for you to contribute to that 401k as a, as a primary objective for your retirement savings, because it reduces your taxable income dollar for dollar, every dollar you put into the 401k. But in many cases, I say that the match is the best opportunity for most savers, and the next best opportunity for most savers is going to be the Roth IRA. And so, I would take a look. If your taxable income is very high, you may indeed want to put some money into that 401k. But if your taxable income is not particularly high, I would probably be looking at the Roth IRA as the primary option if you do not get a match. Max out that Roth IRA, and then if you still have more money to contribute to retirement, then go back to the 401k. If your taxable income is higher, what you may consider doing, again, is just compromising between these two worthy objectives. Put some into the traditional 401k, reduce your taxable income, get the deferred savings, and then put some into the Roth IRA, thereby getting some of that tax uh, uh, distribution over time, some diversification from a tax perspective. Tim Maurer, Director of Advisor Development for Buckingham Strategic Wealth and author of Simple Money. He's joining Where We Live Today from the ARP studio in Charleston, South Carolina. If you have a question, 860-275-7266. You can also find Where We Live on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Now, uh, Tim, we were talking a little bit earlier about some of the apps uh, that you use. Uh, I'm just curious, when we think about uh, putting aside money for retirement, it all really starts with uh, budgeting. And so... I'm wondering if there are certain apps that you recommend people use that can help them plan uh, what what they can put aside and just to have a more stable financial future. 
sure, Lucy. You you make an incredibly important point that oftentimes the notion of saving for retirement is actually a step two, three, or four for most people. We really need to begin with no matter how much income somebody has with a good cash flow mechanism. And then we have to bring up this dirty financial word that begins with a B, yes, budget. And, and for most of us, the notion of a budget feels like something that is so imposing. We don't want to subject ourselves to the tedium of double-checking what our purchases are on a weekly basis. I will tell you this as somebody who's done it for over 20 years. To me, it has become one of those habits that I simply couldn't give up. I feel better about my financial situation knowing that I've got a handle on what the spending has been. And generally, I do take a look at all that spending on a weekly basis. I bring all my wife's spending together with my own spending. And then we kind of know where we stand on a weekly basis from a financial perspective, how much money we have left to spend that month. An app that I have been using for years is called You Need a Budget, YNAB, youneedabudget.com. By the way, I don't get paid anything by YNAB to say this. Every year, I check all of the various apps and budgeting resources that are available, looking for the very best one. But for over 10 years now, that answer has been YNAB every year. And that's because it's a very robust budgeting app and system that kind of forces you to stay disciplined. There are others that are good, like Mint.com, but I refer to that as kind of budgeting on training wheels because Mint actually does so much of the work for you that from a behavioral perspective, people almost stop paying attention to it. They just get a, uh, a notification that, oh, hey, you just spent too much eating out this month, um, and then they kind of forget what is happening there. It doesn't force you to establish that weekly discipline that I think is a really healthy one. I hope my husband's listening, Tim. <laughs> thank I hope you, so too, Lucy. thank you for uh, the suggestions uh, for apps for our uh, listeners uh, to check out. And then, uh, real quick before we head to break, Paul from Willimantic. Paul, we got under a minute. What's your question? Uh, yes, what's the maximum a person can contribute to a four hundred one k or four hundred three b? Yeah, Paul, the answer is a lot of money. It depends on your age, but uh, it's and it's going up each year. Right now, I think it's $19,000. It's either $18,500 or $19,000 for somebody who is under 50. And then if you're 50 or older, you can put an additional 5500 bucks away. So it's a good chunk of change that you're able to put into a 401k on an annual basis, which helps people catch up if they are behind. This is where we live. Today, we're talking about the importance of planning for retirement. It's not something you have to wait to do uh, in when you're middle age. Now's the time, right out of college, uh, thinking about smart, smarter ways to budget. Um, with us from the studio of ARP uh, in Charleston, South Carolina, Tim Maurer, Director of Advisor Development for Buckingham Strategic Wealth and author of Simple Money. We're going to take more of your questions right after the break. The number, 860-275-7266. we got to talk about... Uh, all of the plans to save for college for your kids and what happens when it comes time to pay those uh, college bills. And later on, we're going to talk about the importance of financial literacy and teaching younger people, um, not just those right out of college, but in your teens. How do you teach them uh, to think about money and ways to save? We're going to talk about all of that coming up. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. If you appreciate this show, the conversations we have, we cover a lot. We ask you to support WNPR now. Here are two of my colleagues to tell you how. 
This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today, we're talking about the importance of saving for retirement. Uh, my guest today, Tim Maurer, Director of Advisor Development for Buckingham Strategic Wealth and author of Simple Money, joining us from ARP Studio in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, coming up in just a couple of minutes, we're going to talk about financial literacy and how to teach teenagers uh, how to save. Before we get to that, uh, Tim, we had a, a tweet from a listener who wants to know, are students penalized if parents have saved for retirement when it comes to college financial aid offers? It's a great question. It depends where the parent's savings exists. But I fear that this has become a, a, a behavioral hurdle that suggests that people shouldn't be saving for education or suggests that they shouldn't be saving in particular locations. The bottom line is college is going to be really expensive. And I don't think you should bet the farm on financial aid being the thing to help you out. You should establish limits for what you can afford to save as a family. Communicate that to your children. Say, this is how much we can help you out. Whatever else is going to be on you. It's important that parents are not ransoming their future retirement for the sake of present uh, education costs. And of course, the costs of education have gone up so dramatically. I would not make that your primary focus on, am I going to be penalized if I save for education? Because then you're kind of betting on financial aid working out in your favor, and it may not based on any number of factors. A lot of states have those college saving plans. Is that a good idea? It's a good place for some of your college savings to go. I think it's a very effective place. You're talking about 529 education savings plans. I highly recommend putting up to, say, 50%, uh, maybe a little bit more, of the total amount that you're going to be saving for college into a 529. You don't necessarily put everything that you might save for college in there because you don't know exactly how much money you're going to need or whether or not your children are going to get certain uh, financial aid or, or uh, other provisions for them, but putting at least half of your college savings into a 529 and only using no-load 529 plans. Don't be willing to pay a stockbroker a commission in order just to have the privilege of saving for education. Look for one of the good no-load 529 education savings plans. And real quick, uh, Tim, you mentioned uh, commissions uh, for planners. I'm just curious, some of these some of these uh, plans have fees associated with them. How much of a fee is too much to be paying? Well, that's a great question. And, and the problem is, where are those fees even coming from? One of the challenges we have in the retirement planning space in particular is that you don't necessarily know all the fees that are part of your 401k plan, for example. And you may not have another option, right? You only have one 401k plan. I do highly recommend asking your employer, what does the fee schedule look like inside of that plan? The truth is there are excellent uh, 401k plans and 403b plans out there that have relatively low costs and good passive options inside of the 401k investment options. But I will tell you, I see an awful lot of statements from 401k plans that are horrendous, that they have poor investment options inside driven by big financial firms who are really just putting their proprietary products out there in order to make more money. They have high expenses and layers of expenses that people can't even see or understand. So go to your employer and, and ask specifically about what those expenses are inside of the plan, they may not even know. And so you'd be helping them out too. 
So let's talk about our, our next uh, our next topic, and that's about uh, young people. Are they learning about financial literacy? Uh, what are ways young people can learn to control their financial future? Joining our conversation now is David Hinchy, Director of Community Impact at the Credit Union League of Connecticut. David, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on today. We're excited to be here. So what, are, what is the credit union doing to, to teach kids about saving? Yeah, great. So uh, back in 2008, 2009, uh, our credit unions got together and uh, started the Financial Reality Fair program. Uh, It's a simulation um, that teaches kids about finances, budgeting, saving for retirement, credit score. We talk about student loan debt um, and also credit card debt. So we started back in 2008, 2009, um, and we just are rolling over 10 years of this program. Um, where we've run through 27,000-plus kids, um, high school students across the state of Connecticut. Um, And uh, we do about 4,000 students a year and teaching them all these important topics. So what are the questions they have? There's so many temptations uh, for young people uh, when, uh, again, they have a little bit of disposable income at their fingertips. You know, why not get the fancy new phone versus putting it away and, and, and thinking about having that money for later? Yeah, and that's a great question. And a lot of the folks that go through our simulation, you know, we, we give them, they do research on a career and they get a starting salary. Um, and they go through the simulation and they have to get cell phones, housing, food and clothing and all of those things. And it's interesting when it's their money, they're like, you know, I don't really need the fancier phone, um, which is kind of surprising. But when their parents are paying the bill, they're like, yeah, I want the iPhone like, you know, 10, like the newest one. Uh, so it's really interesting. But um, we find that the kids that go through, they do they do understand it for the most part that um, when they're paying the bill they're surprised at how expensive things are with cell phones furniture um, and it really surprises them it's a shock for them for many of them just to see how much things cost and how much their parents you know pay or, or outlay for all of these items uh, we were talking earlier about a college loan debt uh, but in terms of just the credit card. I remember when I graduated from uh, college, all of the offers that showed up in my mailbox, <laughs> and it's, it's it's tempting to just sign up for these. What what are the what? How do you educate young people about credit cards? Yeah, and um, that's a, a, a great question. And so we are huge fans of responsible use of credit, um, and that's really the key. Some people are, you know, no credit cards. Like, no, that's you know a bad idea. Um, but we are more of a of the of the camp of responsible use of credit cards. Um, you know, you can start out with a secured card at like a younger age um, and then transition into more of a traditional model. Um, you know, just being uh, really responsible and using it, keeping your limits really low. I'm sorry, keeping your limits high and keeping your balances really low on your cards uh, is really what we try to preach to these students. You know, we encourage them, you know, put some money away for savings for, you know, a rainy day and emergencies and also pay down their debts. Um, when they go through our simulations, we tell them, you know, keep that credit card balance. Um, um, really low. Um, it helps you out. So we just we really advocate responsible use of credit as opposed to no credit cards or you know racking up and maxing out their cards. And we have conversations about that with them so that they understand that they need to be responsible when they're extended credit. You mentioned these uh, these reality fairs. Are you partnering up with schools? And if our listeners are uh, want to know more about like, uh, this kind of event that you're holding, like, where can they go? 
Yeah, so they're backed by um, Connecticut's credit unions, and um, we have 80 high schools roughly throughout the state that participate in them. Um, and the website, it's ctcreditunions.org, uh, that folks can go to to learn a little bit about it. There is a video also. Um, you can find it on YouTube as well on the Financial Reality Fairs, and we shot one a couple years ago in Hartford. And uh, yeah, it's just like I said, it's a simulation. It's designed for high school students. Um, you know, we talk to them about all the topics that I mentioned, and um, we were talking earlier about retirement, and Tim hit the nail on the head with all of his advice. Um, but yeah, we talk to these kids, and if you ever want kids to look at you really funny, just talk to them at like age 18 about retirement, um, because the looks that you get are just so uh, so crazy. And um, But that's when we start, and we tell them, start early and often. You know, right when you get your first job out of college, you know, start, you know, enrolling in for your 401k. And so I draw from personal experience, and I say, when I got out of college, I didn't make a lot of money, but I made sure I prioritized retirement savings. And I started early, and I start early and often. Uh, and that's really the advice that we give. Because I said, you got 50 years to ride out the bumps in the market. So start early and often. And so that's our retirement advice. And Tim really covered all of that. I was sitting there listening, and I was like, yes, Tim. Like, mm -hmm. you have it all correct. So thank you for that. You're talking about Tim Maurer, who is a director of advisor development for Buckingham Strategic Wealth, author of Simple Money. Uh, Tim, what's your perspective on these reality fairs and, uh, you know, David just mentioned when he talks to young people, teenagers, about saving for retirement, they give them they give them a funny look. First off, Lucy, I'm just so thankful for the work that David and his colleagues are doing. It is vitally important. It strikes me of how ironic it is that most colleges these days, they have no problem partnering with credit card companies to throw them in front of college kids who don't necessarily know exactly what they're getting into with these cards. Yet the vast majority of colleges out there do not even have as a requirement for graduating a fundamentals of financial planning class. It's one of the challenges that I've given to the academic community after spending seven years teaching as as an adjunct faculty member at my alma mater, Towson University, the fundamentals of financial planning. It was a requirement for all accounting majors, but that was it. We are preparing kids to go out and make big bucks these days in the college system, and we're paying good money to the colleges for that. I would love to see them call to the carpet to stop doing negative things like putting credit cards in front of kids. I love that David's helping them understand the utilization of those cards, but I want to see colleges play a role in, in, in helping their soon to be graduates who are going to be making a lot of money know what to do with that money. David, thank you so much for your work. Oh, no. Thank you, Tim. And I mean, it's important to know. I mean, we talk about this all the time, but, you know, three quarters of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. You know, 46% of Americans do not have $400 in savings to cover an emergency. Um, and, you know, the EPI, the Economic Policy Institute said nearly half of Americans have zero or virtually zero retirement savings. Um, so, you know, these are problems. Uh, you know, collectively, 44 million people owe $1.3 trillion in student loans. Uh, dollars. Um, you know, Connecticut students here, they graduate with more than 30000 in student loan debt. I I'm one of them. So um, it's really, that's why we do this. Um, and just those, you know, those numbers that I listed, that's why, you know, Connecticut's credit unions and my foundation, that's why we are out here in the forefront. Um, and we're trying to get these kids, like I said, at, at age 18, um, juniors and seniors in high school, to get them to understand this. And so um, that's why we... Uh, that's why we do this. Victoria is calling from Manchester, uh, talking today about where on retirement on where we live. Victoria, what's your question? Um, I just wanted to make a comment regarding both David and Tim's perspective. I'm on the other side of the spectrum. I've been retired for two years, 
and I'm forever grateful that I saved for retirement way back in the day when I was in my late 20s. But I remember when my mom was alive, she always said, Honey, we need to have a savings plan for you. You need to have a budget. And I go, Oh, Ma, that, I don't want a budget. So she used to call it a spending plan. So I'm glad I listened to her because, as you know, when you're young, you think you know everything. But I stuck to the plan, and I'm grateful to have been retired for the last two years. Well, thank you, Victoria, for your uh, your call. We just have a couple of minutes left. I wanted to go back to Tim Maurer. Uh, we got a tweet, and I think this is a common sentiment. I want to read this to you. What can one do if they're in their 50s, make barely enough to cover bills, works four jobs, and can't put away 16%, move into a cave? Such a good question. And the answer is no, I don't think you have to move into a cave, but you're probably going to have to change your perspective a little bit. If you're in your 50s and you're woefully underprepared for retirement savings, you're probably going to have to anticipate on working longer than you may have expected initially. And so if you absolutely hate the work that you're doing right now, you may need to consider reshaping that, even if you have to take a pay cut initially to something that you could enjoy doing uh, effectively indefinitely. But I will say there's one other silver bullet that can have the most dramatic impact on s- and improving somebody's retirement situation, and that is moving. If you happen to live in a higher cost of living area, there are so many beautiful towns, great college towns uh, all over the country where you can take high uh, money dollars like in Connecticut and go to South Carolina. Tim, Tim, stop, stop. No, 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 no. <laughs> We hear this often, um, you know, retirees are moving to Florida, not South Carolina. But anyway, <laughs> well, we do understand uh, what you're saying on that. Um, you know, we don't have a lot of time left, but you did say something that I wanted to just jump on about um, uh, people who who may not be putting aside the money they need to retire, so they're going to have to work longer. But oftentimes you think that you can work longer, and then there's a health situation that pops up, not just with you or maybe someone, your, your, your spouse. I mean, what do you do then? That's so true. And you can't just count on working indefinitely to be your retirement plan, Lucy. I don't want to give that impression, but I think people do need to alter their perspective. Life expectancy is much longer today than it was in the 1930s when 65 was kind of set as the traditional retirement age. And so changing that focus, being willing to work longer, is something that actually doctors suggest will will increase your chances of improved health while in retirement. But we, we cannot shy away from the reality that you also have to do something on the save. Front. Don't just shrug your shoulders and say, I'm so far away from reaching that goal, I'm not going to do anything. Do something, anything today. Tim Maurer, Director of Advisor Development for Buckingham Strategic Wealth, author of Simple Money. We really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you so much, Tim. We hope you come back. Always a pleasure, Lucy. Thank you. Also, David Hinchy, Director of Community Impact at the Credit Union League of Connecticut. Thank goodness you're doing the work you're doing, uh, teaching uh, young people the importance of saving. Thanks for coming on today, Dave. Thank you so much for having me. Today's show produced by senior producer Lydia Brown. Thanks to Carmen Baskoff and Kion Wolf. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. If you appreciate where we live and joining in on the conversation, asking these questions, please support the station during our spring membership campaign. Here are two of my colleagues to tell you how. 